Hello and welcome to the one, the only, the only Mass Effect podcast that matters. There might be others out there, but we've killed them all. They're all our... Fuck them. We, we got them. We dropped them in the streets, son. You know how I talk. That is that is the way I talk. Shepard, Mr. Kenneth Shepard, my co-host, is here, as always, alongside me, Eric Van Allen, making sure I don't say anything too stupid. <laughs> he has yet to I mean, interject yeah, and stop, but... <laughs> I mean, at, at this point, I just let you go. Just say what you're feeling. Just, just let just it all where come I out. with this. Yep. <laughs> I, um... Can I have a fun fact for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so... A local bookstore to me was having a big sale recently, and I was perusing the uh, the local selection of Blu-rays and DVDs and stuff. I actually picked up some cheap anime, which was nice. But I completely forgot about an entire subsection of things that exist, including video game movies. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to remember, and you might have the answer to this. I waited to ask you until we were on the podcast and I could drill you. Does Mass Effect have movies? Like, did they ever get into that whole, we're going to do a video game movie all cgi and stuff because i feel like i remember one but i don't know if it's like a berenstein bear situation or not they did they had a full-blown anime uh called paragon lost which is about one james vega oh god it's uh not great i actually haven't watched it since it came out like i have like i own it on blu-ray because i'm I'm a fucking nerd so i'm gonna have it um i should maybe that'll be like a patreon stretch goal one day we get drunk and just watch the whole thing Oh, okay. okay, at least we'll be drunk. <laughs> and I don't get drunk very often, so it'll be, like, real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you'll be asleep by, like, episode two. <laughs> oh, it's a movie. It's a movie. It's not a show. Oh, it's a, oh okay. That's a little mm-hmm. bit more. Okay, so it's like the Animatrix and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. That's a little bit more palatable than having to watch, like, a... I mean, why would anyone take a video game that's so expertly paced and well told and try to condense it down to, you know, like, 13 episodes? I mean, what madman would do that? Talk about Dagged Rampa. Wow, you just (laughs) totally sparked my PTSD. (laughs) Oh, but Ken, we're not here to talk about Dagged Rampa. That's for whatever next podcast venture we get into. I (laughs) I planted the seeds already. This is a bad idea. (laughs) Today we're here to talk about Mass Effect 2, and specifically the Collectorship and the Derelict Reaper. So this week we are, for once, not joined by a guest. Our guest is you, the listener. Uh, we've had the wonderful joy of having several guests on over the last couple of weeks. It's been wonderful. And uh, I have to refresh my memory. I do believe we have one more coming. We do. Uh, for, for one last loyalty mission, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, they will help us close it out. We're not announcing that quite yet. You're going to have to stay tuned. But in the meantime, uh, we will be jumping into the Collector and the Derelict Reaper because we've got some critical plot to get back to. There's been mm. stuff happening. We gotta save the universe. Can't just talk about mothers and daughters and fathers and sons all day. This this Riverdale stuff we've been up to. Now we gotta get back to the the main plot. Kill the Gargoyle King. 
Uh, <laughs> we're we gotta take off to the collector ship because um well president bartlett uh the one and only elusive man has told us that a collector ship has been taken out by some turian fighters and uh it's in some some level of stasis ken and i were talking about this before the podcast started and the the setup for this is still super shady and shaky in a way that i think it's kind of intended to be that they they want you to feel like the elusive man is kind of withholding information from you about how all of this came together because imagine I, that yeah i really feel like this is the mission both at the start and at the end where um not only shepherd and, and you as the player but even the characters within the game are supposed to start distrusting the elusive man and, and are supposed to start feeling like this guy is not actually looking out for my best interests he he has a plan and right now like in this very second our views are aligning but even then i can tell like this is not the guy i want to be long term hooked down to so uh but hey a collectorship is a collectorship and we want to stop these weirdos so <laughs> we gotta head out to it and and ken i want to talk to you first about just when you get to the collectorship because boy is it creepy when you get there I it f- is it felt like we talked a lot in in mass effect one in the mass effect one uh episodes about novaria and and how i really enjoyed uh when you got to the rachni sections it felt like a very horror aesthetic mm. and as good as that was there it was held back by the limitations of the engine exactly and here it feels like there's less of that going on mm. Yeah, like we were talking about in the last episode, just like how the Samara Insane missions are like sort of amplified by you not having to fight anything. I feel like they do a better job making this sort of uneasy, eerie atmosphere by there's literally nothing here. I don't have to like I got my weapon drawn, but there's nothing for me to shoot at. For like a solid half of the mission, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for at least the first half of the mission, like it definitely sets up that it feels like you're being watched and like there's some danger hiding just around the corner and stuff like that but it also plays that off very well to be like we're going to make you feel afraid because if we put something in front of you that has a health bar and looks Mm -hmm. scary you might be startled for a moment but then you're going to be able to kill it and once you know you can kill it it's not as scary anymore um i always (laughs) Whenever I think about horror in video games, there are a few video games that always come to mind for me. Things like Alien Isolation and uh, Amnesia, which which have those similar um, have similar setups, but then you you never have the ability to kill something. So when you right. you think about this stuff, it's better to look at things like Dead Space or um, my personal favorite, uh, the first Halo. And, and the level where you learn about the flood. Um, there's a very, very famous segment where you are kind of discovering what the flood is, and at one point you are walking towards your objective, and you see several Covenant come out running in fear for their lives from whatever is inside. And, and that's like a really cool moment, because for a long time you've been fighting the Covenant, and you know that they are capable warriors and and can give you a real good fight especially those sword dudes and they are running for their lives because of whatever is mm-hmm. inside that door and uh it it does a really good job of setting up that fear before it gives you the ability to to kill the things and even then after that the flood 
I would say throughout the entirety of Halo 1 remain like an intimidating scary enemy and by you know Halo 3 they are just another mob in the giant horde of things that Master Chief must destroy but uh, Mm. here I really think they do a good job of that and all kind of leads up to this um, this moment of discovering what the collectors are the collectors are essentially uh, husks of Protheans that Mm -hmm. you have been fighting the you know still living yet dead remains of the Prothean race which I like this moment for two reasons one it's it's like a good twist and also we talked about you know how you're setting up that horror and stuff and not having you fight things on the way here really lets you get lost in the horror of the moment but also because it's this little premonition it it for a long time we've had this this thing and I think we talked about it at the end of Mass Effect 1 where they never really say what the goal of right. the Reaper harvesting is. Uh, and you, you don't really have a sense for... You, you have a sense that they do these things and you don't know why yet. And that's what a lot of Mass Effect 2 ends up setting up is what do the Reapers want with all of this? Right. And uh, here you get kind of a taste of it because it it shows the end result and your mind gets to fill in the blanks. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. the Protheans got turned into these workers these servants for them that are just doing their bidding and that's what could happen to us if we don't beat the reapers yeah like literally imagine a scenario like thousands of years from now where earth is gone and no like this no the known civilization doesn't know anything about it but they have to fight these husks of like they don't know where they came from they don't seem to match any sort of species that they know of now and it's just like well that's if I, if I didn't have enough reason to want to fix this by now. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we get... It's kind of weird that this is like a weird contrast, but we find out this big twist, and then it's like, hey, man, want a sick new gun? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, I legitimately never remember anything about the Scimitar because I've never picked it. I've always played Vanguard, and I always pick up that Claymore shotgun because mm. I want to get in there. I want to... I don't even use the Claymore in Mass Effect 3. I use, I, I think for the most part, I've been using the Venom because uh, I really like that that weird grenade launcher shotgun. But mm. um, the Claymore in 2 is just disgusting. <laughs> it is. It was made for the charged shotgun combo. Mm. Like, it is so pure in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, the scimitar though that's a um that's a sniper rifle i believe or is it assault rifle oh no it's, it's a it's a uh, a shotgun and it's more like on the assault side of it so like that's why i've always used it it's been like my primary weapon i thought you through could Mass get, two and three. i thought you could get a sniper rifle here though well yeah that's the thing is like you can either choose between a, like a new sort of like uh weapon training or like basically an advanced really powerful oh version that's of so that so got. basically it picks like you can either learn to use a new weapon or you can pick up like a really advanced weapon for whatever right. your like main class right. is. Okay, I've never known yeah. that. That's that's good to know. We're learning things today on Normandy yeah. FN. Uh cool. That's good to know. Um but it's a good thing we pick up that new weapon because then the whole place wakes up and uh we gotta fight some some collectors. And, and the reason that the whole place wakes up we basically find out after getting to the the core of the ship, after going through all this suspicious emptiness, that uh, the elusive man 
knew that this was a trap. And it, it is a trap. It's an ambush. They're trying to trap Shepard and kill Shepard. And the elusive man knew. And uh, now we have to fight our way back out. And I've, I always like bringing Miranda on this mission just because I'm like, look, see, remember what I told you? Look, this is bad. I'm not bringing Jacob because he's too dumb to figure it out. But <laughs> um, how, what, what was your reaction to all this? Ken, I mean, first time through and also just like playing it now and, and knowing that he's going to betray you. Uh, the first time it was, it felt like an Adina move. Like you're sort of, it establishes elusive man as sort of this. And I don't know, like it's it's hard for me to kind of put him on Adina's level in this specific instance because at least when Adina was being a, a little shit, I understood why. Where the elusive man's sort of logic here feels super flawed, feels like. Because when you eventually get back to talking to him, he said that he's like, I didn't tell you because, one, I knew you could handle it, and two, you knowing could have uh, tipped off the collectors in any sort of way. And I was like, that... It just feels irresponsible and careless of a person that spent millions to bring this person back from the dead to just be like, oh, I'm, I figured you could handle it. I mean, come on, dude. Like, Only sending you into the ship of the thing that killed you in the first place. <laughs> literally. And, like, they even they even bring up, like, through, uh, as you're going through, Joker and Edie have been, like, scanning the ship, and they find, it's literally the exact same ship that killed Shepard two years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, <laughs> you, like, you know that you're, the ship you gave us is back to the exact same uh, specifications as the last one. I mean, sure, we might, we may have gotten upgrades, we might not have. So it just, I don't, like, the elusive man is supposed to be presented as this really, like, calculated, smart person, and it just, it, it feels like a real, like, it feels sort of contrived in a little bit to, like, make you, like, really suspicious of this dude who makes not only irresponsible decisions, but just seemingly stupid ones as well. I think my takeaway from it especially considering how this character is developed in Mass Effect 3, is that it's supposed to reveal to you that at the end of the day, the elusive man has his own agenda. And mm-hmm. it's not even necessarily to stop, quote-unquote, the collectors, or, or let's say stop the reapers. It's not even necessarily that. He just wants to be powerful. He just right. wants exactly. the best for himself, and by some extension humanity but only insofar as humanity that serves himself and in this situation he made a cost benefit analysis and decided that any like boon he could receive from sending Shepard into the situation superseded the risk of losing Shepard in the process so I don't know though because it's just like what like even looking at Mass Effect 3, all his plans, they all hinge on Shepard. Like, I just... It's... In in Mass Effect 3, he becomes a little bit more of the, I don't know, trope that's like... I always think of L from Death Note. I don't know if you've seen Death Note or anything like I that. Not. He's I just, like, no. I was always thinking 20 moves ahead of you, and I knew what you would do, and I calculated, and I planned for that in advance, and stuff like that. He gets into that sort of thing, whereas... In Mass Effect 2, he feels much more like a, um, 
like you know like Nudina, like a a, a mm. politician, like he's just kind of gradually nudging chess pieces on the board, and he's trying to set himself up in a position where he will have a beneficial outcome no matter what happens. Um, and it definitely betrays the fact that even if maybe he thought Shepard would be fine, that the security of his crewmates and his crew, um, or, or their crewmates and their crew, were not necessarily priority as much. Because, I mean, Shepard could probably make it out. I mean, Shepard has survived the dumbest things ever and that's not even counting what we're going to get into in mass effect 3 but uh that's not to say that jacob's going to be able to make it through or zaid or kasumi or anybody like that so um i think that's where we get into this so quick note during this whole betrayal segment we do discover that uh the reason why people keep dying in the omega-4 relay is because uh the the relay reads an IFF. Hey, I forgot what that stands for. Actually, it's like inter fleet something or um. Mm. It's basically like imagine it's like a key fob that opens the gate to your apartment complex. You know, like it's like that. Um, identify friend or phone device. Identify friend or phone. That makes more sense. Um, mine sounded cooler though. Mine sounded more <laughs> sci-fi. Um. Interfleet friend flag. <laughs> it's just a little flag you hang outside your ship, and they're like, "Hey, it's our buddies." Or if they don't see it, they're like, "Those guys suck." <laughs> um, it's like when you get a parking pass at university, and they know yes. not to put a ticket well, on your windshield. I mean, it's supposed to work that way, but sometimes at some <laughs> universities. <laughs> um, anyways, uh. So we discovered that there is one that the Reapers specifically use, and so it is likely that the base of the Collectors and whatever Reaper presence currently exists in the universe that is not traveling, you know, the gazillions of light years through dark space to get here, um, is through that relay, and uh, it's in the middle of a really bad place. So it probably puts everybody out in a place that will kill them, except uh, unless you have that certain IFF. So we need to get that IFF. But first, we got to have a team meeting about this whole elusive man thing. And I like that you point this out, Ken, because especially playing Mass Effect 3, now I'm definitely seeing a lot more of this. Uh, The team-wide meetings that only include Miranda, Jacob, Morden, and Edie, uh, because those are the characters that you have to have by this point. Um, Everybody else, it's, it's... They could be there, they could not be there. Uh... Yeah, you could at least include some of the dossiers that that were in the first half of this game, yeah. like the pre-Horizon dossiers, which are... Like uh, Jack, Garrus. Yeah, Jack, Garrus, Grunt, I think, Grunt. are the pre-Horizon uh, dossiers. And they didn't even have to say anything, they just didn't no, have to be in the room. In there. Um, at least Garrus. Nobody's going to skip Garrus. <laughs> Nobody's going to not recruit Garrus. Um especially when he's literally on the same planet as Morden. Uh, yeah, it, it, it definitely feels hollow, and, and that is the one nice part about... I, I feel like they saw this, especially in Mass Effect 1 and, and now in 2. Uh, they saw this and started to address this in 3 and Andromeda, and even you look at other Bioware games like Dragon Age, where they were like, okay, the whole thing about 
recruiting people is neat, but maybe we need to make it mandatory so we can better regulate these story scenes and make you feel like the entire mm. cast is involved. Because uh, that is right. like one of the larger story failings of Mass Effect Two, a game whose story I absolutely love. So, um, but yeah, yeah. especially when that is like literally the crux of the game is uh-huh. like the Suicide Squad. This char- these characters that you're going out to, you know, create this team, and it's I don't know. It's and again, like a lot of it does come back, come back to like you don't necessarily have to have like a solid half of these characters. Um, I mean, you're, you're gonna wish you had them later, but like in terms of like looking like under the hood you don't actually have to have basically anybody except for the ones that you did get before horizon so yeah i don't know it it really just feels like a wasted opportunity when you compare it to things like mass effect and andromeda or mass effect 3 and andromeda where just like this like even if characters weren't saying anything while they were there like that sense of like a team that sort of like becomes a sort of family to one another that and you know that all culminates in things like Citadel and like things that happen at the end of Mass Effect Three. It's just like I don't know. It just it feels like maybe by the time they got to Mass Effect Three, they kind of like had figured out what it was about these characters that meant something to people. I don't know if it was even that they were like, okay, these these characters mean something. We have to have them. They were just like, it makes it easier for like like we can kill two birds with one stone here. We can have a better narrative experience by having all of your crew present at all times and also it makes it easier on the design side to be able to say like okay we don't have to play this what if game and constantly design cutscenes around the lowest common denominator of how many crew members you could have Mm -hmm. and who they are and stuff and make missions that require some to be present so that way you can have a character like morden always present um so it's not just uh Miranda and Jacob in the way that it was always Kaiden and Ashley. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it definitely feels better as the game goes on. Like, I noticed in Mass Effect 3, like, it, it, it was cool seeing my squad as as a whole together more often. And, and they do a lot more mm-hmm. in Mass Effect 3 where they have those interactions between characters. They, like, designate times pre-missions and stuff like that where... Uh, certain characters will interact with others and they'll, you know, it's just a couple throwaway lines, but it's a nice way to incorporate that stuff and also feels a lot more acknowledging of the fact that this is not a game just about Shepard, but about the people around Shepard. So, with all that said, we have set up the biggest of Chekhov's guns here. We gotta go pick up that IFF, and they definitely make it seem like it's a big thing, because we've got a derelict Reaper sitting out there, and after we give it to the elusive man uh, in pretty strong terms uh, he informs us of this derelict reaper that's sitting out there and puts a real time crunch on it but with the benefit of having played this game before we know that the timer for this game does not start until we do the derelict reaper mission so Mm -hmm. I did want to address this before we went into uh, talking about the the derelict reaper uh while we are talking about these missions in this order neither ken nor i played through them in this order because uh, speaking for me personally i played all the way up to the collectorship and then did all of my loyalty missions and all Mm -hmm. of my side quests and all of my dlc and stuff yeah and then did the derelict reaper (laughs) and 
that's because once you start the derelict reaper you have a i believe it's just a one mission timer the next away mission well it can be longer if you have not done all of that stuff up to yeah. the derelict basically, reaper. It, basically it starts to get to the point where they do start pushing you like this is where it finally starts happening like you can do everything you want but just don't do that mission like that one over there mm-hmm. like that's like i don't know and like the game in terms of the way that it's like narratively presented doesn't telegraph that to you it's just more of like it's just sort of like knowledge that you'll happen upon if you decide to play it a certain way um so like i don't know that that from that point of view is necessarily a failing in the game but it's just like mass effect 2 specifically i feel like has a lot of points where they have to gamify stuff Mm -hmm. a lot a lot more like a way more than they had to do for mass effect 3 um where like they just in a lot of cases in that game, they just literally take things out of your hands and like you just kind of, kind of got to live with it. Whereas Mass Effect Two is the one is the one game in the series that has like this more of like a I don't want to call it like a true ending, but like sort of like a a best possible outcome. So because it's like there are more ways to game Mass Effect Two than there are in anything in Mass Effect Three. Like you can know how to get around stuff, but you're not going to be able to get to the entire thing unscathed no matter how you play it. Whereas Mass Effect 2, it's like, it has this one crux of everything it does that, like, there is sort of, like, not a pass-fail, but, like, a... Like, I guess a best way to get through it, you know? Yeah. So, like, they have to give you, like, as many ways to possibly accomplish that than anything that happens in any of the other games, really. I think that... I don't know. I, I always go back and forth on this stuff because I really do like the suicide mission. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really cool thing that not many games have been able to pull off well. Um, you, we've kind of seen it in other games. I was recently thinking about Tales from the Borderlands, again, uh, due to the recent Borderlands announcement. And I was thinking about how the end of that series specifically reminded me a lot of the suicide mission and the way that it incorporated a lot of the choices and a lot of the relationships mm. and, and friendships you had made throughout the series into this final uh, combat in a way that I was like, oh, this almost feels like somebody at Telltale had recently played Mass Effect 2 right. and wanted to incorporate those sorts of design things. And obviously it is you know, just an iteration of the things that Mass Effect has always been trying to do, which is just make your choices matter in the end and, mm. and have them all culminate to a head. And so we do kind of come to it with the fact that the fact that we have played this enough times and we've read about this enough times and everyone it's been discussed to death that we can see the mechanics at work, we can kind of see the cogs turning. And so once you start mm. to see that, the magic kind of dissipates. And I think that's why everybody remembers the suicide run in terms of their first go through it because at that time they didn't think of it in this mechanical pass fail test way it was just this harrowing mission do or die Mm. and a lot of people lost crewmates uh playing it i mean i think it's very hard to not have that happen because um as you know narratively they don't really set up the fact that the iff starts this timer and uh right they have this kind of toss away line. I remember making note of it, and sadly, I lost all my screenshots recently. I don't know how that happened, so um, I don't have the the note to to have it there. But I remember it specifically that uh, 
you have this conversation with Miranda and Jacob just before you're about to like, you know, exit the cutscene and get back in control of Shepard where uh, they're arguing and one of them is like, oh, we should go get that IFF right away. That seems super <laughs> important. And the other one's like, but maybe we should finish building out our squad first and doing things there because we want to have the best squad to face whatever might be on that Reaper. And I think that was supposed to be the, the yep. way of telling you like, hey, get stuff done because uh, right. it's going to block you otherwise. So I don't know. I'm always of two minds about it. Yeah, I mean, it just we can maybe get into like more of a deeper discussion on the suicide mission when we get to that episode. But it's just kind of like looking at specifically with Mass Effect Two, just looking at the way that they, like I said, that they gamified sort of the, the possible outcomes you can make. I feel like it was as well as I think they ultimately pulled it off. I feel like it sort of gave people the wrong impression as to what the series ever was because other than the suicide mission, I don't think Mass Effect really has too many of those possible. Or like as many of those missions that like there is sort of like a clear cut best outcome, and I feel like you know maybe if you had to lose people on the suicide mission and like or you wouldn't be able to get through every loyalty mission, and it was a matter of like I need to decide who is like the pro- like what missions are the priority, what um, upgrades are the priority. Like maybe that would have you know altered the way some people felt about Mass Effect Three. I don't know it. Yeah, but that's a conversation of another episode. Yeah, yeah. I think it, especially when we get into Mass Effect 3, where we'll be talking a lot about um, the things that I think it does really well with, you know, labeling missions as priority and stuff like that and mm-hmm. being very clear about what will progress the main plot and what won't. So uh, we will get to that. Now let's get into the Derelict Reaper. So we are jumping ahead to the next critical mission, even though... Uh, we will still be jumping back to do some loyalty chats and all that first i don't know let's go pick up this derelict reaper iff and see what's going on so this mission i don't know why the first when we were playing through this and and ken and i went on our week-long binge of mass effect 2 uh, right after we finished uh season one of (laughs) normandy fm because we were just so excited to play through it um I, I thought this mission was longer than it actually was. This is an yeah. incredibly short mission, all things considered. Yeah. I think a lot of that comes from sort of the... It's sort of set up in a similar way to the Collector Ship, where like there is more of like a less, less focus on combat and just more of like the horror of what you're in, because you're literally inside... Or like on the outskirts of a fucking Reaper. Like... Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, there's a lot of it's, like, audio logs, video logs, mm-hmm. versus, like, shooting anything. Um, and it does go back to what we were talking about with the collector's ship, actually, because we're fighting all these husks, and then you got, like, there's that, in the back of your brain, you're like, where did they come from? Mm-hmm. And as you're going through this mission, you're like, oh, I, I know where they came from. Oh, fuck. Yep, so we get kind of introduced to the idea that there were people studying this reaper that were gradually uh going um at first they thought insane but then gradually began to realize that they were just being indoctrinated um Mm. over time because surprise the reaper's not actually all the way dead (laughs) it's just kind of dormant um even dead gods can dream i believe yeah that was the that line someone had been reading their hp lovecraft uh (laughs) that's all i gotta say there uh really 
the best part of this the the best part of this mission for me as a vanguard player was mm. shockwaving dozens of husks off the sides of the balcony. It's literally like a bowling alley here. It's it's incredible. Like it, this mission, and then once we get into the suicide mission, uh, you really there are bottomless pits in this game for some reason, and husks love to be just bowling balled into them by <laughs> shockwaves. It's so much fun, especially since, as as you note uh, in here, Ken the the charge and stuff oh, this was on the collector ship that you noted this but i feel like by this point in the game uh charge shotgun is still effective sometimes but it's maybe losing some of its effectiveness yeah like when you're fighting less um like less gangs and more collectors and um husks it's like i yeah i can charge into a husk but then there's still like four of them surrounding me at that point mm-hmm. um versus like where because like husks they i mean they ha- they are certainly coded in a way that makes them do certain behaviors but like they don't use like strategies so, like if you charge if you charge at one they're gonna fucking just slap the shit out of you right that's all they're gonna do this is and we skipped over it this was supposed to be something i was going to bring up in the collectorship uh thing but i'll bring it up here since we're talking about combat the worst friggin fight in this whole entire game happens on the collector ship and it is no contest um that they're called uh the the praetors i believe is what they call them the the big floating collectors uh mm. i'm gonna double check this so i'm not like completely wrong here i think it starts with a two but or, or with a p but i'm going to double check this to make sure praetorian praetorian i was really close there um that is the worst fight in the game that sucked it's the worst because the cover is completely ineffective against the praetorian and it can just float over it it's throwing husks at you and it there's just i think it was the moment where i was like mass effect 2's ai is maybe good but not good enough yet because Mm. my teammates would take cover where i told them to but if they were getting swarmed by husks or they were getting blasted like face on by the Praetorian from the other side of cover, so not the part that should be protecting them, but the other side where their ass is, um, mm-hmm. they wouldn't move. They'd just sit there and mm-hmm. get destroyed. And it, it was just a moment where I was like, boy, this is the exact fight where Mass Effect 2's combat has just been pushed to its limits and, and it can't go any yeah. further than this. And then like, they... Because, like we both play Vanguard, so like it, like just from like a fundamental like environment standpoint, they invalidate half of that class's skill set mm-hmm. because you can't charge. Like it's not even that like you charge and it's like not like you're immediately punished for. Like you literally cannot do it because everyone's on these floating platforms, and so like if you spec that way, like if say you didn't like you didn't work with like. uh pull or anything like that like and any like your long range stuff like you've got the smg um you might be completely fucked like and so like i this mission in particular was one that absolutely fucked me over when i did insanity playthrough because i literally was without half of my moves Mm -hmm. like it because like you can't i don't think you can do shockwave either because like it literally like there's gaps in the floor so like it doesn't 
travel from one side of the battlefield to the other. So I don't know. It's just like it was a maybe lot of, it's like I'm sure. I was just gonna say it's a lot of cool design ideas, but it just does not like meld with the tools that you are given. Exactly. Like it might have been easier for like infiltrator soldiers, like people that focus on long range, but just like. And so maybe that's just a Vanguard problem, like. Yeah, it. I mean, it could be. I mean, Vanguard is like a super specialized class when you think about mm-hmm. it. It wants to exactly. do like one very specific thing, and so when you try to play it like other classes, you run into speed bumps. And I think that's why I like Vanguard is because it forces you out of your comfort zone and to play in a way that is unlike other video game shooters, but also that just creates issues when you have to kind of play within the same rule set as other Shepard builds might. Um, But in terms of the Derelict Reaper, um, again, we get to use our Shockwave, so that's great. We get to to fuck everybody up. This is like our, like the, yeah, this is like the game giving us a little after it just took everything from us before. It's like everyone else is, you know. And I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Shockwave in Mass Effect 2 is way cooler than Shockwave in Mass Effect 3. It's like not even useful in the same ways in Mass Effect 3. I don't I don't know who made I don't know who made that choice to make it like not like locked to the ground cuz like it's more like a it's almost a, like a projectile. Yeah, it's like point. a Hadouken like, almost. Like it just kind of yeah. flies like a fireball almost and it's really it feels weird. It doesn't feel good and it doesn't have that like satisfying where it, yeah. it, I know this is talking too much about the combat of another game in Mass Effect 2, but <laughs> because I, we have been playing it, um, Mass Effect 3's Shockwave just feels super... You don't have the impact, and it's also not very easy to read visually as like, oh, that was too short a range. Like, I was not mm-hmm. close enough to the enemy to hit them with Shockwave. Whereas in 2, you know what the range of your Shockwave is because right. you can visually see it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, luckily, they gave you Nova, though, so... Yeah, you do get Nova. I, I never used Nova much, but we'll talk about that. No shit! Okay. Yeah, we'll, All right, that, we'll yeah. talk about it, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I'm really ready for Mass Effect 3 again. <laughs> yeah, our combat talk in Mass Effect 3 will probably get interesting, because my Vanguard play in 3 is very different from my Vanguard play in Mass Effect 2. Mm. Um, okay. Probably because of very certain changes that happened, but we will talk about that then. For now, we're going to talk about the very best boy, the good robotic boy, who just wants to to bring everybody together in perfect harmony. Uh, Legion. Boy, Legion... Sometimes I can't tell whether I think Legion is really cool or really lame. Because he's, really? he's just close enough to that Kai Leng level of saying nerdy, edgy shit. Where he's like, I am Mini. We are Legion. And I like immediately I was like picturing a guy fox mask on this dude's geth head and being like oh god he's like an anonymous hacker dude but then i will then you get to know who he is and i'm like okay legion's cool (laughs) i want to i'll give him a little bit of leeway on that because sort of going back to like how we talked about the rachni back in the first game legion is somebody that has never had like proper contact with humans or like not even just humans just like organics in general so like it's like they're (laughs) <laughs> there's like a language barrier that has to be sort of like uh like like, like overcome because like yeah idioms skipping ahead a little bit don't make as yeah. much sense yeah like skipping ahead a little bit like you're literally like you ask him who is the individual in front of me and he like doesn't even comprehend that that's like not a 
that's not in his vernacular to under like view himself like, as I am a one platform thing. for many things and it's like right. yeah no when you get to that part i started liking him it was it was this very early part where you're like oh he's this mysterious robot geth sniper that seems to be helping shepherd for some reason and he's super cool because he's legion and he's mini and stuff like that and it, and he's got in seven armor yeah for some reason he he's cosplaying as shepherd <laughs> um yeah it's, we don't get much context here for legion we you kind of get that same setup where with grunt where it's like okay well we have a geth on the ship now and i guess we can turn him on or not and I can't right. imagine there are people out there who don't do that because I actually don't know what happens if you go into Mass Effect Three without, uh, without having turned Legion on. That sounds well, weird. Also, he's not a romance option. If you, <laughs> uh, long as I guess isn't really a spoiler. Like he becomes a named enemy. Like very oh, late they in do the, the same group. thing with Morinth, and I think they do it with Grunt too, right? Where you just fight them eventually at some point. I don't know about Grunt, but I do know it can happen with Jack as well. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm gonna look that up later. There's, there's a lot of messed up shit that can happen in Mass Effect 3. Yeah, I'm gonna look that up later, because I didn't know that could happen. I guess because they're all choices, it's like, what human would make these choices? So, um, but that's super weird to think of Legion as being a named enemy. That would be really sad. That would be really depressing. Yeah. That would make that game even more depressing than it already is. And that's um, impressive. That's an impressive feat. <laughs> but uh, it's cool to have Legion. Uh, I think we'll spend a lot more time talking about Legion because you get very little exposure here. Most of it happens in his loyalty mission, so that will be coming up mm. on our next episode. So, Nope, not next not, episode. Not next episode. I'm so sorry. I was actually I was pulling the list up as I was saying that to be like, okay, gotta remember, gotta remember, gotta remember. Our next episode is the Kasumi and Zaid loyalty missions, because we gotta get that. Which I suspect will be a very short episode. Yeah, at least on the Zaid fronts. I might yeah. I might have some stuff to talk about with Kasumi. Um, specifically the way that mission ends, and kind of the weird choice it gives to you and stuff. But uh, we will get to that. We will cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, for now that's all we've got for today um it's just we're almost done with this game yeah we just gotta get some critical ball out of the way because we're almost done just uh for our listeners at home who are kind of wondering how far we are from the end we've only got three episodes left until the suicide mission uh this next week will be the kasumi and zaid loyalty missions followed by uh that next week where we will be doing the italian legion loyalty missions with a very special guest that we will hold on to to surprise you with and then after that, we're on to the suicide mission. Uh, and then we'll be tacking on Lair of the Shadow Broker and Arrival after that. But that means, in total, we've only got about five more weeks until we're done with Mass Effect 2. And we're going to be booting up the hard drives for Mass Effect 3. Uh, we're breezing through this, y'all. It's We're only about three months, almost four months, into 2019. But we are chugging right along with Norm DFM. And uh, we're glad for all of you that have joined us on the ride if you want to support our show if you want to help us pay our hosting costs and stuff you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm uh you'll be able to find our stuff there and see some stretch goals you can make me play a video game i really don't want to play <laughs> and uh but ken really That's wants really good. Me to play it. ken really does want really to good play game. It. i don't i don't know i 
I don't want to play it, but if it'll appease the listeners and appease Ken, then damn it, I'll do it for the content. Uh, besides, I I really want to see how some of those romances uh, pan out because I never got far <laughs> enough to really see it, and I don't think I would mm-hmm. romance PB this time. I, I'm as mm-hmm. as the typical Asari romancer in this game. Uh, kind of thinking I'm leaning a little bit more towards the Turian side. So Hell yeah. all I talk about Garrus and then uh, a recent mission I might have played in Mass Effect 3 with another Turian that was super badass might have uh, might have me lean in a different way. So we will see. Hell yeah. But until then, for Kenneth Shepard, I'm Eric Van Allen. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And as always, check us out next week on Norm DFM. Yeah,